so we are um, continuing in this series, and we're talking about this idea of how does love handle different situations and relationships? How does love handle failure? How does love handle differences? And, and so today, um, we are talking, I want to talk about dating, and I want to talk about marriage, and uh, it's not going to be as crazy as you probably think it might be, um, but I just wanted to make sure that we could talk about this in an honest way um, and, and really address some of these things. And so uh, this is something we haven't really talked a lot about, actually at this campus, um, and so I wanted to make sure we took some time to, to address these things because they're important things. So whether you are single, whether you are dating, whether you are married, there's an aspect of today that's critical because some of it will address specifically where you're at in life, um, but the reality is, is that all of it addresses people that you know in life. And one of the things we talk about all the time is that this information, what we learn, how we grow, uh, how we understand who God is and the way that he shows up in our lives, it's not just for me and it's not just for you, but it's for you to take out into your community and into your relationships and, and for you to help encourage and, and, and push other people forward. And so uh, I, I'm excited for today. I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, I'm probably going to blush a little bit, but that's just uh, the way that it goes. So I wore my taco shirt for confidence. Um, and I know that there's, a, there's really just kind of a countdown because in about 20 minutes, we're going to start smelling like chorizo and beans and rice, and I'm going to lose everybody So at this point. Um, but every single Saturday, uh, thousands and thousands of people dress up in clothes that they will never wear again in their lives. Uh, they spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on parties, and they invite people that they probably haven't seen in years and probably will never see again, uh, and they get married. They stand in front of this crowd of people, and they make these vows and these promises. Uh, there's 2.3 million weddings per year in the U.S. That's a lot of weddings. Like over 6,000 a day is what it breaks down to. Uh, this is happening constantly. Uh, and as a pastor, I get to officiate a lot of weddings, and I love being able to do it. It's, it's a fun thing because um, it's... Uh, there's a lot of celebration that happens, um, and it, it usually is a lot of fun by the time that I show up at the wedding ceremony, all the stress and the anxiety is done, so other people have to deal with that kind of stuff. So, uh, but it's such a fun thing, and it's such a special thing to be able to be a part of, um, and uh, I've been able to actually, even just in the two years that we've been here, I've been able to be a part of a lot of weddings of people that are part of our church, um, which is a huge gift as well. Uh, and there was actually a wedding a couple months ago. We have a picture here that I was able to be a part of. Look how good I look, guys. I own a suit. I know. You don't believe it. Uh, that's, I'm not wearing my taco shirt in that suit, but... Uh, no, this is uh, a couple that will go unnamed. Um, no, I, I just wanted to use this in a, as an example. This wedding uh, was absolutely beautiful. And it's at this venue that's incredible, and everybody was dressed up uh, very, very nicely. And it was just this beautiful experience. Uh, this couple was madly in love. They were giddy to be there. They were, uh, she couldn't stop giggling the whole time. She was like so giddy and excited to be in this moment. Uh, he couldn't stop crying because he was so excited and just emotional about this whole experience. And I was up there just trying not to screw up the most important day of their lives, uh, you know, like you do. Uh, this aspect where at this moment where this photo was taken, I was in process of talking to them. I was in process uh, of having them exchange vows. And here's what I know about almost every single couple that stands up on their wedding day at this moment. They make these promises that they are totally not prepared to be able to keep. Uh, they make these promises and these vows that they have the best intentions of. 
And they are these massive promises, these massive commitments that for many, many, many people, they are not prepared to make good on those promises. And I say that not in a way to make a dig on them, but just it's just kind of the reality of, of what it is. And if you guys have been married for a season of time, then you know it's not anything about this couple or about any other couple. It's this reality that you know that marriage is going to be hard, and then you get married and you're like, oh, it's this hard. It's kind of like having a kid. It's like, well, yeah, I know a kid, it's difficult to raise a kid, and then you get a kid, and you're like, oh, it's differently hard, uh, you know, and so you have this concept of what it means and the weight of it and these types of things. You have a concept of the challenges of relationships, of caring for people well, of loving others, but there's this aspect that we don't fully understand what we're getting ourselves into when we make these promises, when we make these vows. A promise without preparation is pointless, uh, there's this aspect of how we prepare uh, ourselves is an important thing. And, and here's how I'll, I'll best kind of illustrate this. Uh, last um, year, at the beginning of the year, I was invited by some of the other campus pastors uh, that had lost a ton of weight, gotten in really good shape. They said, hey, let's all do a uh, sprint triathlon. And everybody's like, that sounds great. And so we signed up. I paid registration money. Uh, I bought a pair of running shoes, all the important things. And then I never prepared to do this thing. And before I know it, it's like two weeks out. And I find myself having a conversation like, do you think I can get ready for this in two weeks? Uh, and everybody that knows me, I mean, I have a taco shirt. Obviously, I'm not prepared to run any sort of race or any athletic ability uh, whatsoever. But there's this reality that I had promised, I had committed to do this thing, I had paid, I had all the best intentions, but I was completely unprepared to do this thing. And so maybe I could have gone and I could have shown up with my bathing suit and my pudgy white body that was totally unprepared. And maybe I could have actually even finished this thing. I could have, maybe. Probably not well. Uh, but everybody that would have been there would have been watching me a little bit terrified, right? Like, oh, is he going to drown? Uh, I've never seen somebody run that slow. Is that running or is that what? What is that exactly? Uh, that bike seat looks very uncomfortable. I don't think you're supposed to use that kind of, you know. Everybody would have been watching me terrified of what I would have happened, and that describes some of your marriages. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's people that are watching you. There's people that watch uh, other people that get married and make these commitments, and you're like, ah, are they going to make it? You know, there's this fear of, like, what you have committed to is massive. It is a big deal. It's important. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's great. And I get that not everybody wants to be married and not everybody will be married. And, and so it's not about that. But there's this sense of we don't totally understand the weight of what's happening in that moment. A promise without preparation is pointless. Saying I do doesn't magically make you capable. It just kind of makes you accountable. It doesn't make you able to be a good husband. It just makes you a husband. <laughs> it doesn't make your marriage healthy. It just makes you married. And so everything after that takes intentionality and work. And there is this. Uh, so today I want to talk about how love handles dating and marriage and being single. And there's so much to talk about. And I'm probably going to fly through this really fast. And I can't talk about everything. And I just want to say um, this isn't about, well, let me not say it that way. It doesn't matter where you're at in those categories. 
Uh, and this isn't about uh, having to get to the next category. One of the saddest things that I see is people that kind of put their life on hold waiting for someone, waiting to start their life when they meet a person, when they meet this person. And so this is not about like hoping that you get to this next stage. This, all that we're talking about today has to do with where you're at in this stage. It has to do with where you're at today. Maybe you're single. That's great. Actually, in the Bible, Paul, the apostle, talked about how he wished that more people would be single. Uh, there's this idea of, of, of when we're dating people that it's obviously should be a serious and an important relationship, but you also haven't quite made those commitments yet that this couple made in that photo. You haven't quite taken that plunge yet. I heard one pastor say that you'll never have more time and less motivation to prepare for marriage than when you're single. You'll never have more time and less motivation to prepare than when you're single. There's this aspect of where you're at today, and maybe you're married and you're in the middle of it, and maybe your marriage is healthy and strong, maybe you're dealing with some stuff, but here's what I know about marriage. Uh, I've only been married, it'll be 11 years, so it's not been forever, but we made it past the 10-year mark, and it is always the good time to put effort into your marriage. It is always the right time to put more energy into that relationship, and so wherever you're at today, there's an invitation for us. Um, and so regardless of which category you fall into, there's an important message because uh, we need to be able to pay attention and learn about these things. As much as we know in our hearts and our minds that we should be intentional about learning and growing, when it comes to relationships, a lot of times we don't put intentionality into uh, preparing for healthy relationships, friendships, dating relationships, or married, any category. We don't put the intentionality that we should a lot of times. So there's this passage in Proverbs 14. We're going to look at two kind of primary verses, Proverbs 14, 8, that I want to look at, and it kind of sets us up for it. It says that the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. And this idea, this word prudent isn't really a word that we use a whole lot anymore. But this word prudent has to do with, uh, specifically it has to do with this idea of how we pay attention to what we're doing and the way it will impact our future. It has to do with not just uh, somebody that's smart or somebody that's wise. It actually has to do with a way that we approach um, thinking about the decisions and the way that we live our lives. It's saying that the wisdom of the prudent, the people that think about their future and their past and the way that it's all tied together is to give thought to their ways. When, when they are wise, it's because they are giving thought to their ways, the way that they're living, talking, thinking, preparing. Whether you think you're preparing for a relationship or not, you are. You might not be preparing for a good one, or a healthy one, but you are preparing. And so there's this invitation that what the writer says is the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Essentially what he says is the fools lie to themselves and say that it doesn't matter. I don't have to put thought to my ways. I don't have to prepare. I don't have to think about it. When I meet that one, it's going to be perfect, and I'm going to flip that switch, and all that old stuff's going to go away, and I'm going to be like the stellar husband and, and all this kind of stuff. This idea of what this writer is saying is that we have to pay attention to our ways. He goes on in verse 15, and he says, The simple believe anything, but the prudent, again with that word, the prudent give thought to their steps. They understand that what they're doing today, where they're putting their next step today, impacts so much more than just today. There's this intentionality, and this is the overlying theme of what I want to make sure. If you don't get anything else today, if you start smelling tacos and totally check out of the rest of this sermon, 
the primary goal for whatever stage of life or relationship or, or any of that that is, we're talking about today is for you to understand the importance of paying attention to what you do today and how it impacts the future. What you're doing right now will soon become your past and it will affect your future. It will. And so today, it all circles around this one idea, and we'll get into some more practical things, and, and, and we'll talk about that stuff, but it all circles around this idea of what we're doing today will become our past, and it will inform, shape, influence, impact our future. And I bet that you guys know that that is true. I bet you guys can think about things in your life, in your past, maybe things that you've done or said, been a part of, maybe said to you, and you understand that they have impacted your future. I'm already running late. I'm not smelling tacos yet, but it's coming. So there's this aspect of what I want to talk about that um, I was trying to figure out of how do I talk about some of these things and this concept of marriage and dating and singleness and all this stuff that goes into a marriage, uh, how do I talk about this? Um, in a decent amount of time. And so I decided, you know what? Why don't I just talk about and preach the wedding ceremony that I oftentimes officiate? But like a director's cut. Because uh, nobody wants a 30-minute wedding ceremony. And so it's like I kind of trim some of this stuff down. And the interesting thing is I usually say this stuff to couples when they're standing in front of me making these vows. I say these things assuming and or knowing that they have already invested in these aspects. And so I want to talk about this today because there's an invitation for you and for me to, if we haven't already, we can begin investing in these things. We can begin paying attention, like the wisdom of the prudent pays attention to their ways and to their steps. We can begin doing this. And so today, I want to kind of give you guys a little bit of an idea of the wedding ceremonies that I often officiate. And literally, there's a couple of you in here that you have heard this before. So uh, this is, uh, like I said, the director's cut. Uh, so here's how I usually start. Mawet. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Princess Bride, anybody? No, just me? Okay. Uh, so usually I say something like, welcome everybody. We are so happy that you're here to celebrate the love of these two couples. Uh, you may not have talked to them in a decade, but they paid for you to be here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so we talk about this idea, and I say that you're not just guests, but you're witnesses to the vows and the promises that they're about to make. You, you're here to observe and to see the vows and the promises that they're going to make make to each other. And so as witnesses, you have a role to encourage and to support them in this process. And that there's a beautiful story of the first wedding in the book of Genesis. And it says that God made man and he put him in a garden to work. Uh, it was this perfect garden. It was beautiful. Everything was right. And it was this wonderful place. But God saw that it wasn't good for a man to be alone. So he made a woman. He says that he caused the man to fall asleep and he pulled a rib out of his side, and he made the woman from the rib. And, and the man kind of comes to and, and, and wakes up from this situation, and he, he writes this first love poem. He says, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And in, and in Genesis 2, there's this verse that's repeated all throughout the Scripture. It's repeated in the Old Testament. It's repeated multiple times in the New Testament. Jesus quoted it. We're going to look at this in just a minute. There's this verse that's repeated, and it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is where we get a lot of symbolism for the wedding ceremony. 
This is why generally all of, you know, the woman's side sits on one side and the men's side, the groom's side sits on the other side and they come together in the middle and it's a symbol of, of this new unity, this new relationship, this new bond, this, this one flesh, two are becoming one. It's so much more than a Spice Girls lyric, you guys. It's like a real thing and it's all the wedding ceremony is, is, is built around this symbol of this oneness that's happening. Uh, it's, they do unity ceremonies and communion and, and sand ceremonies and candles and all these things. And all of it is to symbolize two becoming one, this reality. And this last paragraph, this last idea of, of what it says in Genesis 2 is where we get so much of the symbolism. And so there's three types of love that most, uh, I would say, all marriages need to be healthy. And there may be more, and there is so much more to say on this topic. But here's what I want to talk about. And, and so, again, with these three types of love that every marriage needs, I'm usually saying this to a couple that, I mean, they're already going to sign on the dotted line. So wherever, however much preparation they've done or not done, like they're here. But for us, I want to talk about these three types of love and the intentionality at which we can approach these things today in whatever status you find yourself in. Whether you're happy to be in that status, happily married or unhappily married, whether you're happily single or unhappily single or, or what, anything in between, these three types of love, we can put intentionality and focus into these areas today. The first type of love is a friendship love. And friendship is something, obviously, we all share. Everybody longs for a friend, someone that they can live their life with and go on adventures with. Even introverts like to have a friend. Like, there's this piece of, like, everybody wants a friend. And, and friendship is something that exists, obviously, outside of marriage. This is an all-skate. You don't have to be interested in a single person to understand what it means to put intentionality into growing healthy friendships. But when you get married, when you find these relationships, this friendship really should be a strong foundation that you stand on in that marriage. Because there's a lot of times I found out that it'll just be the two of you. And it's important that you like each other, that you trust each other, that you enjoy being with each other. It's an important thing. And I know people that don't enjoy being with their spouse, and it breaks my heart. They would rather hang out with their friends than their spouse. That is a tragic thing. Friendship is a critical part. And there's an invitation for us. This idea of friendship love is an invitation for us to pay attention to this. Um, and the first thing I want to debunk kind of quickly, and I'm going to run through a lot of information here, and so just bear with me. This will probably go a little bit smoother in second service. We'll do a second wedding ceremony next, and it might go a little bit better than the first ceremony. There is no such thing as the one. And what happens is when we believe in this myth of the one person that is perfect for you is that you are terrified that you will miss out on that person, that you will blink, that you will be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and somehow you will miss, and then you will never be as happy as you could be. There is a terrible thing that happens when we start to focus on this thing. And so ultimately what happens is that we don't pay attention to ourselves. We don't pay attention to who we're becoming or the way that we're living because we're so paranoid about making sure that we find the one. And oftentimes this is what happens when people decide, like, I can't start my life until I find the one. I can't start my life until I find him or her or whatever this thing is. And this is a myth that music and movies and commercials and I think even churches have kind of propagated this idea that if you find the one, the right person, then your marriage will be easy. 
then your marriage will be perfect or easy or right or, or whatever these things are. And this is not true. This is not true. I've not seen this be a reality. Uh, and, and so I think there's this aspect of if you are single or if you are dating, I think it's so critical that we understand that it's not about finding the right person or finding the one. It's about becoming the right person. And this happens in friendships. This happens in community. This is what we talk about a ton. This is why we are a part of a church community because as we are in friendships, we, we learn about ourselves. We learn how we need to grow, how we need to process, uh, deal with things, deal with our past baggage that maybe we haven't dealt with because we're just gonna continue bringing that forward into stuff, into future relationships. I talked about this last week again. Man, it wasn't until I was like 25 and a year into my marriage that I realized how much junk I brought into my marriage and that I hadn't ever paid any attention or put any intentionality into becoming healthy. I had just been looking and waiting to find the one, the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And I'm so grateful at who I found and that she has been patient with me to figure out some of my junk. And I've still got more to go. But there's this this process, an invitation for us as to, to pay attention to who we're becoming. Are we becoming the right person? Another way to ask this question is, uh, are you the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for? You are looking for a certain type of person that fits this certain description, and they meet all these requirements, and they got to be six foot one, and they got to this, and they got to have a taco shirt. I get it. It's an important thing. But are you the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for? Because you generally, the general you, you have like this radar, and you are searching, and you are trying to find this person. And so often, and I did this, and I know a lot of other people that did this, we never focused on who we are becoming. This is the invitation of friendship. This is the invitation of singleness, of dating, is this invitation to take advantage of the time that we have now to become healthy and whole. Uh, I saw this online and it made me laugh. It said, relationships are like health insurance. All of your pre-existing conditions start coming out after you've been approved. The beginning when you're married. And there's this reality that when you're dating and when you're engaged and even in the beginning when you're married, there's this sense of like all of this stuff kind of like starts to trickle out of the closet after a while. And there's... um, this couple that does a lot of marriage coaching and seminars and and really great stuff, and they said this quote. They said, if we attempt to build intimacy before we've done the hard work of becoming a whole and healthy person, and every relationship will be an attempt to complete the whole in your heart. And there's this aspect, and there's this reality that I have seen in my own life. I have seen in my marriage, I have seen even in parenting my sons, that so much of the unhealth is because of unresolved issues from my childhood, from my parents, from interactions I had with my, my dad, from the way that I saw my parents interact with. I have brought this stuff in. As, as, and now as I'm trying to be a good husband and a good dad, there's this reality that still so much of it is just reacting to what I've experienced in my life. And so the intentionality of becoming healthy and processing through this stuff like the proverb says, the prudent give thought to their ways. They understand that the past will impact the future. And so how do we approach and give intentionality towards this? You guys with me? You guys just understand? Is this too heavy? Should we move on? Are you nervous because I haven't said anything PG-13 yet? Okay. All right. So the first type of love, and I don't, obviously, like what a terrible wedding to say all this stuff, right? Have you guys worked through your issues? 
I've noticed a few just in the last couple hours. No. Uh, so the second type of love, the first is a friendship love. And for us today, because we're not marrying each other in this moment, we get to, there's an invitation for us. There's an invitation for us to begin paying attention. Even if you are married, you can say, maybe I need to look at some things. Maybe I need to pay attention to some things. The second type of love is a romantic love. Yeah, this is the part. Uh, this is where there's a warning for us. There's a warning for us as married people. There's a warning for us as single people or dating, wherever you're at in this relationship. There's a warning for us. Friendship is something that we, we share with a ton of people, and we should have that with a spouse, someone we want to spend the rest of our life with. A romantic love is something that oftentimes, unfortunately, is shared with a bunch of people. And, but when we get married, it's ultimately something that we only share with our spouse. Only in this marriage relationship does this romantic love exist. But in our culture, obviously, in the world around us, and even just in our humanity, this is something that uh, people have a hard time having self-control over. Um, and it's an understandable thing. It's fantastic. Uh, romance, love, uh, being physical with people, all of it is intended to be wonderful. It is, is being created to be wonderful. And so I don't want to talk as much about whether or not being physically intimate before you get married is a sin. Because I feel like most of you probably understand where we would be at on that. And you've probably heard your parents and your grandparents. And so I don't, I don't think that that is something that God has intended. And I don't think it's something that we should pursue or be a part of before we're married, outside of the marriage relationship. But I think a lot of people assume that they would hear that from a pastor. And so what I want to talk about is the psychological implications of what happens um, when we experience uh, physical intimacy, uh, period. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whatever it is, sex is so much more than a physical thing. In Matthew 19, Jesus quotes this passage of Genesis, uh, and in verse 5 it says, and he said, talking about Jesus, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to the wife, and the two become one. That's Spice Girls. Uh, Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And this word one, there's a Hebrew word that they use, and it's called, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but none of you know what it is either. It's called ikad. Uh, anybody going to correct me? Didn't think so. Uh, so Jesus quotes the Genesis story, and this word one is this word, it's the same word that's used to describe the Trinity. God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. This, this word one is this idea of, of separates that become one thing. And it carries this meaning that you can't possibly separate it again. It would be impossible to have a clean separation. The, that's what this kind of, the Hebrew word ikad kind of holds with it. It's only used in certain phrases. And this applies to physical relationships. And psychologists have started to see the implications of, of, of when people are sexually uh, intimate with each other. It fuses them together at the deepest levels. And I have spiritual reasons for believing why we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. But also culture says that that's a very outdated thing. But there is a bonding that happens. There's a fusing together that happens during sex. There's three main chemicals this is like high school, you guys. Three main chemicals that are released in the human brain during intimacy. Dopamine, uh, oxytocin, and vasopressin. Do you guys know this? You guys, there are smarter people in here than me on this topic. So, uh, so uh, dopamine is a chemical that makes a person feel good when they do something exciting. 
uh, it makes them want to do it again. Uh, scientists call this the addiction chemical. So this happens with gambling. This happens with drugs. This happens with skydiving. This happens when you get a tattoo. Uh, this is the thing that makes you continue to make poor choices, usually. Dopamine is that it's this addiction chemical that makes us want to do this thing over and over again. Oxytocin is a bonding chemical that primarily is found in women, and it's released by physical touch hand-holding, hugging, this type of physical touch. It's a bonding chemical that women, uh, women's brains produce through physical touch. And vasopressin is a bonding chemical that's primarily found in men. And scientists have actually began calling this the monogamy molecule. And you guys can check my work on all this. I did a lot of research to make sure I wasn't just saying some rando things to make a point. Scientists actually call this a monogamy uh, chemical. And so what happens is when men and women are sexually intimate, it creates this, it releases this bonding chemical in our minds. And our minds have no idea whether this is um, a one-night stand. Our minds have no idea whether this is marriage. It has no idea whether this is a friend with benefits. It has no idea who this person is or what our long-term plans or vows or commitments are. It releases this chemical. And so in men specifically, it is, it's actually something that creates, it, it causes us to become protective over this person. And actually, and I don't understand how the brain and human everything works, but somehow it actually expands when that person that we're sexually intimate with has children. It expands and covers our children. And what scientists have found is that this chemical actually becomes depleted over time. There's an aspect, there's a reality when the more we have sex with more people, different people, this chemical becomes depleted. And so it has, we have a harder time, both men and women, but especially men, we have a harder time bonding with people that we have sexual intimacy with. We have a harder and harder time bonding with them and caring for them and protecting them in the ways that we are created to do. And this is something that is a difficult pill to swallow in a lot of ways. Uh, all of these chemicals are values neutral. They don't, like I said, they don't care what. So I would just say, regardless of what your personal preferences or beliefs are spiritually, of the spiritual implications of sex outside of marriage, there is a psychological and there is a chemistry-based implication of what this does in our relationships. And it is unhealthy for us to experience this outside of marriage, outside of a committed relationship. And I want to say, because it feels like a little bit of a downer right now. You thought it would be like a lot more sexy fun time conversation, I'm sure. Uh, but we have all made poor decisions in our lives, maybe in this area, maybe in other areas, but I know that you have blown some things. You have screwed some things up in your life. And what I know to be true, and I am grateful and totally, that's not the right word. I'm going to say embarrassed, but that's not the right word. I am grateful that I get to stand here and tell you guys that no one has messed up more than I have in these areas. I have a highly unfortunate and checkered past. And I want to say that I have experienced some of the challenges that come with this in my marriage and in my relationships. And one of the most beautiful things that we talk, I want to make sure we talk about is, regardless of where you're at on this journey, the decisions you've made or haven't made or any of these types of things, is that 
why we show up here is because we believe that there is a God that is powerful enough to heal and restore things. And so in my life and in my relationships, I have experienced that restoration. And so if you have had a bad track record, if you are currently on an unfortunate or a path that you want to change, it does not mean that you are up a creek without a paddle. But there is an intentionality at allowing God to come in and help heal and restore some of these things that are inside of us. Help heal and restore some of these things that have been broken in the past because we know they will affect our future. And I get to stand here today and say, man, our first year of marriage was incredibly difficult for all of these reasons. But our last year of marriage has been healthier in many ways than it ever any other year before. It's not because I have figured out some things. <laughs> I promise I have not. It's because God is able to heal and restore, and it is the primary function of he is pursuing to heal and restore and renew and, and bring things into a right relationship, not only with him, but with each other. And so I just want to make sure that I say that very clearly, because I don't want anybody walking out of here being like, well, that's not the end of the path. That's not the only path. That's just screwed that one up. Maybe you did, but that's not the end of the path. That's not the only path. The prudent give thoughts to their steps, the way that you're going to step tomorrow. God does incredible things. And as a bonus in my research, I don't have a long point about this. <laughs> so many people I talk to, they decide, hey, I want to live together because let's try this thing out, see if we're compatible, and it'll help us be able to be better for marriage. And statistically, people that cohabitate before they get married have a 50 to 80% higher likelihood of getting divorced, which is shocking to me. And I Googled it. Multiple times. I was like, there's no way that that, st that percentage is true. But statistically, they have done studies and they have seen that there's just a higher likelihood that divorce will happen if you live together before you get married. And I don't know why that is. I didn't do that much research. But you guys can Google it. You have an iPhone. You can figure it out. So friendship love is an invitation for us to look inward and make sure that we are becoming the people that we need to be, period, but also, especially if we're looking at committed relationships that are moving towards marriage. Romantic love, there's a warning for us. There's a warning for us as married people and as single people to pay attention to what we are doing, to how we are thinking and processing in our relationships. And the third type of love, oh my gosh, is a committed love. 34 minutes. I'm timing myself today, you guys. I can't smell tacos yet, so we're good. The third type of love is a committed love. And this is a picture. This is a picture of, the, of what God hopes for and intends for marriage. This is not only a picture of what he intends for marriage, but marriage is actually a picture of God's love for us and the relationship that he has with the church, with our community, the way that he pursues and is committed to who we are. Committed love isn't based on a feeling. It's based on a choice that people make. It's based on a choice it says, regardless of what happens today and tomorrow, I will choose to love you whether or not I feel like it. And this is something that is much easier to say when you're standing in front of somebody that looks really good, that is dressed up very nicely. It's much more difficult to do when you wake up next to somebody that looks like they look like when they wake up. 
There's this aspect of saying, I will choose to love you regardless of what we face, regardless of what comes our way, regardless of what happens, regardless of what life throws at us, through sickness and in health, through richer and in poor. And we always assume it'll probably be richer. Uh, it'll probably be health. But the reality is, is what we know is that challenges come, and this committed love is saying, I will choose to love you throughout. Sociologists uh, talk about in our Western society that the consumer mindset is increasingly characterizing most relationships, including marriage. Uh, I read this article. It says, Today we stay connected to people only as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. When we cease to make a profit, that is, when the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we are getting back, then we cut our, loss, our losses and drop the relationship. When the Bible speaks of love, it measures it primarily in how much love we are able to give to others, how, how giving, how selfless we are towards others, not by how much we receive. So the Bible's aspect, the Bible's view, Jesus' view of love is diametrically opposed to this, what can I get out of this mindset? Wedding vows are not a declaration of present love. They're not a declaration of here's how I feel today. They're a promise of future love. Love you in that worst case scenario thinking, I will still love you in that moment. It's a weighty thing. And so many of us, myself included, on my wedding day, it was based off of how I feel today. And I'm sure it'll always feel like that. But it's a commitment love. Tim Keller said that in any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. It's a commitment to love even when the feeling isn't there. It's a commitment to love even when their breath smells that bad. It's a commitment to love even when they break your heart in that way. It's a commitment, it's a promise, and it's so weighty. So when we choose to get married, when we pursue this relationship, we're making the decision, a commitment, a vow, a promise, that the good of the relationship outweighs the good of the individual. Now I will say as a caveat that there are marriages that are unhealthy and Even Jesus gave exceptions having to do with divorce. And this is a whole other topic that I for sure don't have time to talk about today. But it is not an excuse to get out of a marriage that's difficult. There's a commitment of following through. Again, think of the words, rich or poor, sickness, health, better or worse. Like, you're saying, either way it goes, I'm committed to this thing. And it has to do with my love for you and how I can serve you and care for you and help you fully become who God's called you to become. It has nothing to do with what you can do for me. And in an ideal marriage is you both feel that way. And that's where you find the most health. But so many people, they step into this thing saying like, I don't feel love. I don't feel like you care. I don't feel like you're doing your part. And there's this aspect of, man, Maybe I should cut my losses at some point. This commitment love is a critical thing. Marriage is intended to be a picture of God's love for us. It's intended to be a picture of God's love for the church. So we can learn a lot about commitment, the commitment we should have in marriage by looking at God's love and his commitment to us. In Ephesians chapter 5, 
Uh, there's so many different verses that I wanted to be able to read here, and this one just kind of stood out for me. But Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, including the way that he loves and pursues, because you are d- his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. It's a pretty high example. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And there's this invitation for us, really in any relationship. But as we talk about the marriage covenant, there's this invitation for us to love others the way that Christ loved us, to be able to sacrifice, to be able to give ourselves, to be able to say, I am getting nothing out of this, but I love you and I see the value in you because the value that we see in that person. Jesus says, Paul said, it was, I don't remember who said it. It was for the joy set before him that he went to the cross. There's this joy of relationship that he went and ultimately sacrificed himself and gave himself up for the joy of the other, for the joy of you and for the joy of me, for the joy of this relationship. And this is what we're called to imitate, this type of love. So this is normally the part of the wedding ceremony that I say, so let's make some vows to each other. And it's beautiful and there's tears and all kinds of things. But today, none of you are marrying each other, which is maybe a good thing. Uh, But what would it look like for us today? And and I'll end with this. What would it look like for you to make some vows to yourself today? For you to think through this idea of friendship and what you can learn and how you can grow in relationships and become who who you should be, who you want to be, the healthiest version of yourself. Maybe you're already married. Maybe you're single. I don't, wherever you're at in between on that scale, what would it look for you to make some sort of commitments to become the person that the person you're looking for maybe is looking for? To become the person that your spouse fell in love with at one point. To become this person that you feel like God's called you to be. What patterns or paths are you on? Maybe there's a vow that we need to make to ourselves to to ask these questions. Is there a difference between what I've promised to my spouse and the way that I act? Is there, uh, do we need to be honest about the broken patterns or the baggage that we've brought into our relationships? The prudent, the wisdom of the prudent is they give thought to their ways and to their steps. They realize that what I'm doing today will impact the future. And there's an invitation for us, regardless of where we're at, to make some vows and say, I need to pay attention to what I'm doing today, to the way that I'm single today. I need to pay attention to the way that I'm dating today, to the way that I'm married today, because it will shape the future.